0: When the imagination ignites, you are pulled into either a world of the fantastic or a world of the dark and twisted. But not everything that is dark and twisted is fiction. And even old stories are based upon some truth. That truth gets recorded in the Pluto Archives. I awoke confused with the wind blowing my hair into my face. The overcast sky gave no impression of time. My clothes were damp from the dew that covered me. My guess was that I was laying on the forest floor, but I can't recall why. My body aches and hurts all over. My head especially throbs and feels like it's splitting. I bring my hand to the back of my head or the source of my discomfort and I feel a large goose egg size welt there that is wet with oozing blood. What the hell? I slowly rise to my feet and brush off all the dirt and the forest debris from my clothes. As I gain my senses, I realize it must be early morning and I head back in the direction of camp. I have been coming to Camp Kennebec since I was in the fourth grade, so this will be my fifth year. Sending me to camp had been a way for my parents to relinquish their (laughs) parenting duties for the summer and not have to bother with me. I knew this the first time they sent me. I was afraid I would not know anyone and have a miserable summer, which I did. However, camp has been a blessing in disguise as it taught me wilderness survival skills, skills that I'm sure are supporting me in my predicament right now. The walk back to the cabins was relatively short As I approached the cabin, I shared with five other girls, I began to notice that there was no noise, no sound of other campers, no sounds of birds or animals, nothing, just the wind softly howling through the trees. This lack of sound made the hair stand up on the back of my neck and arms. Where was everyone? I took each step up to my cabin, slowly trying to create as little sound as possible, which was futile, as the old wooden steps creaked with my weight with each stair. I slowly opened the screen door to the cabin, and the creak was deafening. Apparently, WD-40 was not something they used frequently here. As I pulled open the door, the smell from the cabin hit me, bombarding my senses, Preteen body odor, dust, and something else. Something I couldn't put my finger on. I slowly let the door hit my back as I moved deeper into the room and let it close silently. There, on the floor, were Cassie, Abby, Tammy, and Mia. It looked like someone had stabbed them repeatedly. Their clothes were saturated with blood, Abby had fingers missing like someone had cut them off as a trophy. Their hair had been ripped out like they were tortured before the final killing blow. That's what the smell was. Old flesh now in the process of decay and blood. Mia's eyes were still open in a horrified shock. To me, it seemed as if they had no idea it was coming. Cassie was propped up against the wall with her head hanging limp in front of her. I tried to pull her head back using her long hair as a handle, and it fell unnaturally to the side. Someone had tried to amputate her head in such a crude manner, but was unsuccessful. Her head was still attached to her body by a segment of flesh. The sight of the cabin was gruesome to say the least. I thought to myself, I wonder who's left? I left the cabin the same way I entered it, slowly with heightened senses as to minimize the noise. Four of my cabin mates were dead and who knows about the rest of the camp. My goal was to find who was left alive, if anyone. Camp Kennebec was not huge with only about 50 occupants in total that included the counselors, campers, and staff. Also, since this was the last week of the season, a lot of campers had already left to go home. I, of course, was one of the last to leave. My parents liked their summer freedom and would pick me up on the last day. At least they didn't forget to come and get me like some kids I'd seen. The counselors would drive them home as they closed up the camp. Because of the small occupancy, I started to check every cabin methodically. Maybe someone was alive and hiding. Hopefully they would reveal themselves when they saw me. There were three sets of cabins, Three cabins for boys, three cabins for girls, and two cabins for counselors or staff. I made my way to the closest cabin and tried as silently as possible to climb the creaky stairs and entered it. The cabin, too, was filled with death, newly rotting flesh as rigor mortis set in, and the smell of blood. I quickly looked around and under the beds to ensure that it was empty as I moved to the other cabins. Every cabin I entered portrayed the same scene. Dead, tortured campers or counselors. It looked like a slaughterhouse. Some had missing appendages. Some had pieces of their scalp missing. Others had no hair as if they'd been sheared like sheep. It appeared that no one had put up a fight. That they had just let someone do this to them. Most died with a look of surprise, shock, or pain on their faces. Out of eight cabins, there was no one hiding. It appeared that everyone that had been sleeping had been murdered, campers and counselors alike. It was then I decided to check the mess hall. It was a large cabin where we ate, put on stupid plays, and did arts and crafts when the weather kept us in from outdoor activities. It was the multi-purpose room of the camp. With four of my bunk maids dead, I realized that Jenny was missing. She must be alive and hiding, but I had already checked all the cabins. I crept up to the mess hall, trying to stay in the shadows. Thankfully, the sun was not blazing and that the overcast was keeping me somewhat sheltered and concealed. I subconsciously touched the back of my head and realized that the oozing had ceased. There are two entrances into the mess hall at each end. I entered the one closest to me. To my surprise, this door did not creak. The room seemed larger with no occupants. I glanced around, noting any places that would make good hiding spots. Fortunately, hiding was not prime real estate in this room, as it was a complete square with no alcoves. You could see under all the tables from every vantage point. However, attached to the room was a galley kitchen. This area could definitely provide more than one place for hiding. I crouched down and softly crept to the food service window opening and peeked up over the counter. Everything in my view was devoid of people. Next, I slipped through the swinging doors that allowed easy access to the kitchen while it offered some concealment and listened. I could not hear any breathing or movement. The last thing I checked in the kitchen was the walk-in freezer. As I clicked the door open and peered inside, I saw the forever frozen look of terror on the cook's face. Her head had been completely severed from her missing body and it sat on the shelf, waiting to challenge the stare of anyone that dared to enter. With the mess hall being thoroughly searched, there could only be one last place to find the missing person. Jenny must be in the boathouse. A little shack by the water that stored all the camp's water equipment The camp actually didn't have a boat. Kayaks were the closest thing to watercraft the camp supplied. The boathouse looks deserted, but looks are deceiving. I tiptoed to the back of the structure, hunkered down as close to the ground as possible, and then raised myself up to peer inside the dusty, dirty window. There inside was Jenny. She was holding a wooden oar that the camp kept even though we did not have a canoe. I touched my head remembering the hard thwack that knocked me unconscious. Only a few hours before, there was only one way in and one way out of this building. I needed to be careful, keep my wits about me, and avoid another head smashing with the oar. As I opened the door, Jenny stood up. I thought you were dead. Next time, you need to try harder. The police are coming. I called them from the mess hall. Good. I can tell them what you have done. Jenny laughed uncontrollably. (laughs) A sinister laugh that would make any sane person question her sanity. Me? Me? You really think I did all this? I just smiled and nodded my head yes. I watched you through the screen door as you stabbed Mia repeatedly. Well, you cut off Abby's fingers and tried to saw through Cassie's head. Yes, that was a mistake. My knife was not long enough. Why? Why did you do it? We were friends. We were your friends. Were you though? You don't think that I could hear you laugh about my clothes? About my hair? But how my parents evidently didn't love me because they would leave me here all season? How you have made fun of me to the boys that I was a loser and that you just tolerated me and let me follow you out of pity? Jenny's face paled at the confession. A person can only take so much abuse before they fight back. I had been planning this all year. I knew my parents were gonna send me here for another summer. So I had been stealing sleeping pills from my mother just a few a week or so to not arouse suspicion. By March, I had enough sedatives to put the whole camp into a slumber, but not kill anyone. No, the killing was to be my pleasure. I volunteered to help with the last dinner before today's departures. Cook always makes the best dessert on the last night, and no one refuses. I added the sedative to individual servings, leaving out mine of course, and waited until everyone decided to retire to their beds. Before I left the mess hall, I gutted the cook with her own butcher knife and used it to chop off her head. I then pushed her fallen corpse under the counter and placed her head in the freezer. Then I started with our cabin. It was so easy as everyone was drugged. They could hardly fight. Hell, they could hardly keep their eyes open until they realized they were going to die. I took my time torturing them. If they started to fall asleep, I would cut them until they bled and their eyes opened. I wanted them to know who was inflicting their pain. I wanted them to know that it was me that was taking their life. With every cut, I made my soul heal up just a little bit. This was an ingenious revenge plan and you, You are the perfect ending. Jenny looked like a mouse caught in a trap. Her eyes darted back and forth, searching for a way out, an escape from this hell, but there was none. You should have killed me, Jenny, when you knocked me unconscious. You should have taken the knife I carried and stabbed me through the heart. You should have known that only one person would survive this night, and the odds were not in your favor. Any hope that Jenny had left her face at those words. She did in fact realize that she was fighting losing battle. She did not have it in her to kill someone in cold blood, let alone murder someone in self-defense. She had thought about killing Michelle when she had used the oar to knock her unconscious in the woods. She was hoping that she could call the police and they would arrive before Michelle had awoken. To be honest, she had hoped she had hit the other girl so hard that she caused a traumatic brain injury, but not really kill her. However, the 911 911, dispatcher originally thought it was a prank call and did not take her seriously. Jenny had to cry to make the operator realize that she was not kidding. She could only guess that the delayed arrival of the police was due to the same disbelief. Honestly, she did not even know if they were coming at all. In her musings, She did not realize that Michelle was behind her with a knife until she felt the blade at her throat. Before she could say another word, Michelle pulled the knife hard and fast, slicing her flesh and silencing her forever. As the life was leaving her body, the last thing that Jenny heard was the sound of sirens heading toward the camp. If you have enjoyed our podcast, Please let us know by liking, subscribing, and telling all your friends. See you next time on the Pluto Archives. This story was written by A.D. Morris, narrated by Azure M., produced and directed by Noah J. Morris. This has been a Puka production.